We are in Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, and we'll read 17 through uh, the end of the chapter. Usually I try to split these about in half, uh, but sometimes there's a theme uh, that runs over, and so we uh, went a little beyond the first half last week, and then we'll finish up chapter 26 this week, beginning in verse 17. There it says, Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisper are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips in a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. <clears throat> when he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, today, Lord, of those traits and characteristics, Lord, those virtues Lord, that should be true of us because of the redemption we have in Christ. Lord, we thank you that when you save us, you do not leave us in our sins, but that you take us out of them, and Lord, you are sanctifying us and transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And Lord, that you have given to us your word to teach us, Lord, how to live faithfully before you, Lord, how to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, we ask today that you might instruct us in these things, and Lord, cause us to walk in your ways. Lord, forgive us when we stumble and when we fall. And Lord, we pray that you would renew us to repentance and that we might rise again. Lord, and be faithful to you in all things. Lord, we thank you that this salvation, Lord, this sanctification that you are working within us. Lord, we are thankful in the knowledge that one day it will be brought to completion. But until that day, Lord, we pray that you give us strength, that you give us grace, Lord, knowing that we cannot even lift a finger in service to you apart from your spirit and without your grace and mercy. So, Lord, make us steadfast. Lord, teach us your ways. Cause us to walk therein. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the first of these verses are dealing with uh, contention, strife, conflict, uh, these things that arise, and we know that this present world in which we live, because uh, it is filled with men, and men love violence, they love strife, they love to, to get angry, they love to fight and to bicker and to quarrel with one another, uh, that this is uh, ever, always prevalent uh, in the world in which we see. And because, as Christians, we still possess the flesh, none of us are perfect, none of us will ever be perfect in this life, we all maintain the flesh, there is this part of us that wants to be embroiled in conflict and controversy and endless strife and fighting. 
And yet the Christian life is to be a life of reconciliation, and we are to strive and to live with peace with all men. And so this is addressing such things, the way that we ought to be. And sadly, uh, many of our testimonies uh, throughout the course of our Christian lives in the various churches that we have found ourselves in, sadly, many churches are often filled with much strife and conflict and constant contention, and it shouldn't be that way. Now, it will never be completely free from those things because we all still have the flesh, and the flesh will rise up, and the flesh will lead to these things. But as far as we can, as far as it depends upon us, we ought to seek to live at peace with all men and pursue those things that make for peace. And so these first verses are dealing with such things. Verse 17, Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. A man who takes a dog by the ears. The dog is at peace, he's at rest, he's sleeping, he's minding his own business over there, having a dream about bones and chasing cars and doing the kind of things that dogs love to do. And yet the man goes by, he takes the dog by the ear, and what does that do to the dog? It arouses the dog, it makes the dog angry, and then the dog turns and bites him, becomes very aggressive, very angry, begins to growl and and moan and bark and bite and do all those things. He becomes a great danger to others. Well, like one who does such things is a man who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. When he sees that there are two other people in strife, in conflict, having some arguments, some contention, and what they're arguing about has nothing to do with him. He has no part or parcel in this debate or this argument that is going on. And he's not coming here to try to bring these two brothers uh, to calm, to a peace of mind, to a reasonable, rational explanation of these things. He's not doing those things. Instead, he's coming into the situation and getting involved in meddling in strife that does not belong to him. It has nothing to do with him. So why is he interjecting himself into this debate, into this argument, and getting embroiled in this strife and conflict and contention that is taking place? They're already mad, and now he comes in, and it just makes the situation worse. And now they're going to be mad at him, and they might bite and turn and start devouring him in the middle of these things. Now, why would someone do this? And it's because there are people who love to fight. They love contention. They love to meddle in affairs that have nothing to do with them, right? We have a problem with wanting to stick our nose in everyone else's business, right? There are people who are busybodies and who love to go around and meddle and interject their own thoughts and opinions and their ideas into everyone else's situation and their affairs. And a lot of living the Christian life and living a life of wisdom is learning to keep our mouth shut and stay out of other people's business especially if you're not invited. Now, if someone comes and asks us for wisdom, or if we see that there's some way that we can help bring reconciliation and bring peace, that's a different matter altogether, right? The peacemakers are blessed. But in this case, the man is not a peacemaker. The man is a troublemaker. He is is a meddler who is meddling in all these other people's business, and he's like one who is taking a dog by the ears. He's getting involved in strife that does not belong to him. We know Matthew 5, 9, one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers, not strife makers, but peacemakers. This should be a trait of virtue that we possess as Christians in that we are seeking peace with all men. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 also 
in speaking of the virtues of the Christian life, that we are to pursue peace with all men, not strife and conflict and contention. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Peace and holiness, peace and sanctification. These two things are essential to our godliness, to our living the Christian life and living a life of faith. We should pursue peace with all men and do those things that make for peace and not for strife. And one of the things that we can do to have peace in our own life and peace with others is don't meddle in other people's business, right? Don't get involved in things that you have no right to be involved with. Just leave it alone and let them handle it. And then if they need your help, then they can come and ask you for it, right? They can come and pursue those things if it is necessary. Verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? A madman, right? A deranged lunatic is out there and he's throwing firebrands, right? Pieces of burning wood into your barn, right? Onto your hay, into your field, into your pasture, He's shooting arrows at you. He's shooting other instruments of death. Right? A madman doing these things, if he's throwing firebrands into your property, shooting arrows and death at you and your family, then would you not assume that his intentions are very evil? He doesn't have your best interests at mind. He does not have good intentions. He has a bent to your destruction, to your harm, to bring you down. Well, like a person who does this, if a man was doing that, throwing firebrands, arrows, and death at you, and then said, oh, I'm just kidding, right? I'm just fooling about, just, uh, it's all in good humor and good jest, we're just having a good time. Would you believe that man who's shooting a gun at you and saying, well, I'm just messing around having a good time with you? No, you'd be like, what, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? That's why I calls him a madman. Well, so is the same one who deceives his neighbor and then says, I was only joking. He lies to his neighbor. He cheats his neighbor. He slanders his neighbor. He gossips about his neighbor. And then the word comes back to his neighbor. His neighbor calls him on it and confronts him on it. And then he uses this lame excuse and says, well, I was just kidding. I was only joking about these things. If you're lying to me, if you're slandering me, if you're gossiping, if you're going and trying to cheat me in our business dealings, and then you get caught in it, you want me to believe that you're only joking? That you really had good intentions in your heart and it was just all in good fun that you did these things? No, that's like the same as the madman shooting an arrow at you. If he's doing that, you know he wants to destroy you. So if a man is lying to you, does he have your best interest in his heart? No, he has your death, your destruction. He has evil intended for you. Verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and when there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Here, these are teaching one and the same. One and the same. If you remove wood, what happens to the fire? It ceases. It burns out, right? It goes away. If you add wood, the fire rages hotter and hotter, right? This is the way it is in the natural world. 
You take the wood away, the fire goes out. You add wood to the fire, and you kindle it up. You stir it up, and it begins to burn hotter. Well, so it is with a whisperer, a contentious man, a man who loves to be embroiled in conflict and controversy. You remove him from the equation. You remove him from the body of Christ, right? You remove yourself from association with this man, somebody who is a troublesome meddler, someone who loves contention, to fight, to argue, to bicker. And again, there are people who thrive. They love conflict and controversy. Well, if that person is in our midst, then what is going to be happening in the family, in the home, in the church, in society, when you have those people in the equation? They're going to always have everyone worked up. They're constantly stirring the stick, stirring everything, so that there's nonstop conflict, controversy, contention, strife, quarreling, bickering, anger, envy, jealousy, all of these evil traits that come out of the flesh, they're going to be exasperated when you have a contentious person in the midst. We all have that propensity in us anyway, to fight, to be jealous, to think that we're smarter and wiser than anyone else? Don't we all have pride built within us? It's in our flesh. Well, when you bring a contentious person in, then you're, it's like pouring gasoline upon those things. Those things that make for fighting and strife, you increase them so that it's a nonstop of contention, controversy, and conflict. And then if you remove that person out and you have reasonable, rational people who are, for the most part, pursuing peace then everyone's living in harmony. No longer is there endless debate, endless fighting, constant bickering and contention. All of those things, they cease and they go away because the contentious person has been removed. This root of bitterness is removed and then many are not defiled by that root of bitterness anymore. But then if you add the contentious man into the equation, then the heat is turned up and the fire burns hotter and hotter and there's much conflict and controversy. And sadly, I hate to say this, this has proven itself to be very true in our own assembly, in our own congregation. Because I can say without any doubt that the, it's been a year since everything blew up. This last year has been relative peace, harmony, no one's fighting, no one's bickering all the time. And the year prior to that, we were in nonstop, constant controversy going on, a revolving door of people in and out. Fights and controversies ceaselessly, endlessly were taking place. And it was the removal, the distance from certain individuals that has caused those things to cease. So this very proverb has been proven, it's proven itself to be true in our own midst. And so it is a warning for us to be on guard, to be on guard first of our own heart. We must always begin with ourselves. We have to examine our own life and we have to look at the log that is protruding from us before we can deal with others. We all have this bent towards selfishness, to seeking our own way, to wanting to insist on those things that we think are best and that are right. And when we're living in selfish ambition, it breeds envy, it breeds jealousy, and it leads to strife and contention. So we must be aware and on guard that we ourselves are not contentious people. And then we also need to be on guard that others are not behaving that way either. 
especially in the church, right, in the congregation, that people are seeking to live at peace and harmony, and they're not getting embroiled in these needless speculation and needless debates over things that are not worth debating, right, that are not worth fighting over. There are certain things that are worth fighting for, and there are other things that we just need to live at peace and harmony and understanding with one another, and we have to be able to discern and practice discretion on those kinds of things. We have to know when is a time of war and when it is a time of peace. And with some people, it's always a time of war. And when you have a person who is always at war, guess what happens? There's always war, right? It's nonstop controversy and contention. A couple of passages. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, verses 3 and 5. It says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions." and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So there, one of the attributes or characteristics of those who are advocating this different doctrine is morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicion, constant friction, right? For a ministry to be in constant friction is not, it's not a good thing. It's not an emblem of, of goodness and soundness. Now, it's, in some regards, there is going to be friction. There will be friction and contention. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, who was a very meek and mild man, a very peaceful man, even he had his detractors, he had his conflicts, he had to deal with those things. But it wasn't constant, and it wasn't all the time with every single person. And it wasn't because he had a morbid interest in controversial questions. He wanted to live at peace, and it was others who were thrusting these things upon him. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So there, Timothy has to have the ability to discern between foolish and ignorant speculations and these types of things that he should not get involved in, these types of arguments and debates because they only produce quarrels. He has to know what is worth talking about and what is something that he ought to refrain from. And here, the Lord's bondservant should not be a quarrelsome man. He shouldn't be someone who loves to bicker and to fight and to be embroiled in these controversies. And then even when he is dealing with something controversial, he needs to do it being kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, 
with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Even then, the way that he addresses and deals with these things must be above reproach. He must do it in a gentle, with a calm, with a kind spirit and attitude within him, and not, he's not there to prove himself right and everyone wrong, not there to show that he is superior to everyone else, but he is to do it for their benefit, right? For their benefit and to do it in a very humble and a gentle, a meek and a mild way, such as our Lord Jesus Christ. Then one last passage, James 3. James 3, 13. James 3, 13 to 18. Here, wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And part of the wisdom from below is that it leads to friction, contention, fighting, and those types of things. But wisdom from above leads to peace and harmony. James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this natural, earthly, demonic wisdom leads to selfish ambition and jealousy and disorder in every evil thing. It doesn't promote peace and harmony in the church, but it leads to disorder and to chaos and to fighting and divisions. But the godly wisdom that comes from above is peaceable. It's gentle, right? It's unwavering. It's full of mercy and good fruits. And this is what we ought to be pursuing in contrast to these things. We don't want to be a person who's a troublemaker, right? Who wants to be known as a troublemaker? And yet, I'm sure if you've been in the church long enough, you can go back through the history of your life in the church in various churches that you've been in and identify people who are troublemakers, right? There are those who are a constant source of strife and conflict in the church. And when they are removed, contention quiets down. It quiets down. Now, again, it's never going to be completely eradicated, Because so long as you and me are still here, and so long as we have the flesh, there's always going to be an element of contention that will arise up. But if we're approaching these things in a godly way, right, seeking to practice proper biblical wisdom, then when those controversies arise, then we can deal with them in a gentle way, giving soft answers that brings those things to an end instead of exasperating them and blowing them out of proportion. Okay, 22. 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. Here, the reason why the whisperer gains his following and is able to cause such uh, havoc in the church is because there, again, is an element within us that both loves to cause controversy, but also loves to be involved in it, who likes to hear the juicy gossip that when the whisperer is going around and talking about this person or that person and this thing that's going on and what he said or what she said, 
right? They love these kinds of things, and other people, they love to hear it. They want to be involved. They want to, to hear these dainty morsels that are going down into the innermost part of the body. So when these conflicts arise, there are typically two parties involved. There is the whisperer, and then there is the one who listens to the whisperer and does so with delight. And we should not be part and parcel of either of those. We should not be the one whispering, nor should we be the one who is listening to such whispers with this desire to, uh, to enjoy the salacious rumors, the gossip, the slander, and to be involved in these kinds of conflicts and controversies. Proverbs 17, verse 4. 17, verse 4, says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. So an evildoer has wicked lips, but it also, here, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. The one who listens and gives credence to the whisperer is taking part in their evil deed and are also guilty of transgression. 23, like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, are burning lips in a wicked heart. Here, the earthen vessel and the silver dross. Both the earthen vessel and the silver dross, these are worthless elements. They're of no count. They're of no value at all. They have no value that is found within them. Well, the earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, both the inside and the outside of this vessel or both of it, every component of it, is useless and worthless. On the inside, it is an earthen vessel, and it's covered on the outside with silver dross. Well, so is the wicked heart and the burning lips. The man with a wicked heart will have lips or a tongue that is set on fire by hell itself. And in this way, both components, both what he is on the inside and what he is on the outside, both of them are worthless and both are detestable in the sight of God. There is a double worthlessness with a man with burning lips because these burning lips are proceeding from a heart that is filled with sin and wickedness. It is impossible that a man have good treasure in his heart, that he have a good and right and true heart, and yet his lips are always burning with lies, with deceit, with anger, with venom, with envy, with things that destroy others. If his mouth is given to that, then what does it reveal to us about his heart? His heart is worthless. His heart is worthless. Now, again, so long as we're in this life, there's going to be an element of that within even every believer. But our heart and our lips should not be always and only burning with evil and sin and deceit and wickedness. For the most part, as believers, we should use our lips in a proper way, right? To bring forth what is good. The good treasure that is within us, given to us by the Holy Spirit, ought to manifest itself in good words that come out of our, our mouth. Words that are edifying, words that build up, words that bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 24 through 26. He who hates disguises it with his lips, and he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Here, the man disguises his hatred with his lips. He lays up deceit in his heart. In his heart, he hates the man. In his heart, he is set against him. He wants to destroy him. Yet he disguises 
his true feelings, what he really is and what he really thinks about the man, with his flattering words, with these kind words, these gracious words, the things that he says about him. He pretends friendship and love, but in his heart, he's filled with hatred and destruction. When he speaks graciously, he says, don't believe him. He's just flattering you. And a flatterer is saying things about you that he does not believe to be true. And he's saying those things of you in order to deceive you so that he might take advantage of you at a later time. He's speaking gracious things, but you can't believe him because there are seven abominations within his heart. His heart is filled with sin and with wickedness, which reminds us of Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, there are six things that the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. These are the seven things that he has here in his heart. Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. This is what he has in his heart, though he's seeking to conceal that reality through his gracious words. 26. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. The hatred of his heart is covered with guile, with lies, with deceit, but eventually God will manifest and reveal the true nature of this man, and he will make it known there publicly before the assembly. Now, a good example of this in the Bible would be Judas Iscariot, especially on the night in which he betrayed Christ, because he pretended friendship with him. He even greeted him with, uh, with a kiss, which is a, a, a greeting that you would give to a friend. He even pretended on the night when he was betrayed at the Passover that he was ignorant of the schemes that were taking place, things that he already had set into motion. Matthew 26, 20 to 25. And his hatred was concealed, not from Christ, because Christ knew all things, but it was concealed from the other disciples. They did not know what was going on within the heart of Judas. And this is because his words were still gracious. He was still flattering. He was still concealing his true intentions uh, with his lying, deceitful words. Matthew 26, 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, each one, uh, they began each one to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. So there, even in this moment, when Jesus is bringing this to attention, that one of them is going to betray him, and Judas has already made plans, has already agreed to do so, he's still pretending here that he doesn't know what Jesus is talking about, that it's not him who would do such a thing when he knew full well that he had already done such a thing. This is his deceit, but eventually all that deceit will be exposed 
before the assembly. It will be brought into the open. Everything that is hidden will be revealed. There is nothing that is concealed in men that will not be brought open on the day of judgment. And this certainly happened with Judas Iscariot. Acts chapter 1, Acts 1, 15 to 20, there it says, At this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that the field was called Hakala Dama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. So what he really was that was concealed for the three years became known eventually to all of the congregation or all of the assembly. And this is the way it will be. Some sins go before and some sins come after. But we can know for certain that everything will be revealed. And so for us then, we should live honest lives, sincere lives. Consistency between who we are on the inside and who we are on the outside. That we should not be filled with hatred and envy and wickedness and jealousy and strife and division on the inside, but then pretend to be peaceful, to have good intentions, to love others, when really we're filled with hatred toward them. Rather, we should repent of that, and we should have love on the inside, and we should have love on the outside, and be sincere, consistent, faithful Christians, and not seek to hide these things from the Lord. 27, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Here, what a person desires to do to others will ultimately fall onto their own head, right? They will be trapped in their own devices. Their evil will return on them, whether that be in this life or whether that be in the life to come. Just as it was with Judas Iscariot. He dug a pit for Christ to fall into, but who ended up falling into it? He did. Right? He rolled a, a stone so that it would fall and crush him, but in the end, he was the one who was crushed by his own evil devices. And this will be true of all of those who practice sin and wickedness in such ways. So we shouldn't do this. Right? We should not dig pits and set traps for other people, for our brothers to fall into. Right? Why would we do such things? That's unbecoming of a Christian. And many times, the justice of God shines through in such times. Because those who dig such traps for others, they are exposed in their own devices, and it all blows up in their own face, and then they, they got egg all over their face, and it's not good and exposes them for who they truly are. Psalm 7. Psalm 7 and verse 15. Psalm 7, 15 says, He has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and has fallen into the hole which he has made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will descend upon his own pate. There he dug the pit, he hollowed it out, and then he fell into it. His mischief, it came back on his own head. His violence descended upon him. And God will make all of these things right. Right? Even if we are wronged, 
even if there is great injustice committed against us, if someone digs a pit and we fall in it temporarily and we see no justice in this life, in the end, eternally, God will make all of these things right and he will right every wrong and whatever evil has been intended, it will always come back upon the person. And then verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Whenever we spread and spew lies about others, it crushes them, it destroys them. And the reason a person does that is because he has hatred. He has hatred in him, which is the opposite of the second greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment is to love the Lord. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, might, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the ways that we love our neighbor is we speak the truth in love. Well, if we are not speaking the truth, but instead we are lying about our neighbor, then what does that show about our heart? What does it show about the way that we feel and think about this person? We hate them because we're seeking to crush them with our lying tongue. And then the flattering mouth works ruin. Flattering when we're flattering them in these ways, saying things to them, building them up, uh, saying things that we don't believe to be true of them. But we're just doing it in order to coddle them, in order to gain their favor, so that we can use them for our own selfish means. It ultimately, it will work ruin upon them. So we should not lie to each other, but we ought to be truthful and honest and speak the truth in love to one another. This is the way that we should live as believers in the body of Christ. And what greater source of truth do we have than the word of God, which is true uh, from cover to cover. So this is what we should be speaking. We should be edifying and giving encouraging words from the word of God and speaking truthfully for each other, for our good, for our benefit, to edify and to build up instead of seeking to destroy one another. So then let us pursue peace, and let us pursue those things that build up in the body of Christ and not those things that destroy and tear one another down. But let's live in love toward one another.